Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Today's episode of The Read Along is brought to you by Freehand Books, your local independent book publisher. Freehand, based out of Calgary, has been publishing very good books since 2008. All of their authors are Canadian, and many are from right here in Alberta. On the Freehand bookshelf, you'll find fabulous and award-winning novels, short story collections, memoirs, literary nonfiction, poetry, and graphic novels. So read local this year and read Freehand. You can find them at your favorite neighborhood bookstore or on their website, freehand-books.com. Always nice to have a localish and bookish sponsor. Yeah, feels very appropriate. Yeah, freehand books supporting the read along and the read along supporting them in turn. Yeah, it's nice. Though I, I don't know that we've actually read a novel from freehand books. No. No. Not that I know of, anyway. Yeah. I don't normally pay attention to that. That's fair. I don't know why, but it reminded me of a. Oh, now I don't remember if it was a bookstore display or a library display, uh, a picture that someone had posted on the internet, as you do, uh, with a sign that said in quotes, I don't remember what the book was called, but the cover was red, and it was just a selection of red books. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, on the red bookshelf, where the red books are. I don't know why that ad made me think of that, but it did, and it made me smile. Oh, maybe because the cover of our current book is red. And blue. There is blue in it. There's a lot of red. There is a lot of red. There's a lot of red. It's true. If I am sounding a little down in the mouth, uh, I apologize. There is sickness once again making its way through our home. Seems to be just colds, little baby colds that keep getting brought in by little babies and then spread to the adults in the room. Yeah. And if I sound a little up in the nose, same reason. Yeah. We have a tiny baby and she has a cold and because she is still really young, uh, she sneezed right on my face. Yeah, so... And I'm like, know, well, I've got that now. Sharing the germs. <laughs> it is what it is. Sickness is definitely not something that will prevent us from recording and releasing an episode. No, it's just going to make us sound kind of funny. Indeed. For like 20 minutes. Quite so. So, uh, But the good news is kind of a, a, a quick chapter this week, so uh, we can, I think, get through it pretty quickly and uh, get back to resting up so that hopefully next week we can uh, languish a little more. Uh, in our book clubbiness. We promise to drink plenty of fluids and drink our orange juice and take our medicine. And at least I promise to try and get some sleep. Indeed. So Scott doesn't make that promise. Not even a little. But with that said, a brief recap of our previous chapter in which a daring escape was made after uh, being caught red-handed in the act of trying to steal a dragon. Vey and Jebby managed to steal it anyway. And... Uh, Kill a lot of guards on the way and probably collapse a palace with an earthquake. <laughs> Missed opportunity to call it Grand Theft Dragon. Well, it's too late now. Ugh. But we are right up to the point where Jebby collapses outside of the collapsed palace, which leads us directly into chapter 15 of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. The chapter begins with Vey waking Jebby up. 
Well, yes, because the previous chapter ended with Jebby passing out. Yes, but uh, it's not like the moment later. It's actually some time later. Yeah, I'm not sure how much time. My guess is hours, several hours. It it couldn't have been long because armor is definitely going to mobilize quickly to try to sweep the city and, and catch the dissidents who just took off with a piece of valuable armory materiel. Yes. So it, it can't have been long, but long enough that they basically collected Jebby out of the snow, dragged them to their parents' place, which is yes. probably the the only safe house Vane knows about in the area. Probably. Got Jebby cleaned up and the worst of their wounds treated and prepped for an evacuation, basically. Yes. <laughs> so that's my guess, is that it's been... Several hours. Maybe as much as a day. Maybe. That feels like pushing it, though. The only reason I suggest that is because they've gathered supplies for Vey and Jebby to escape with, and they've also prepped a Razi with, like, a saddle that yeah. looks like it was kind of customized a little bit, and that couldn't have been a thrown-together-in-an-hour sort of thing. No, exactly. That's what I mean. But I, I don't know that it that an entire day? Like, that seems like a long time I'm, for Armour to get their act together. Yeah, I'm saying that, well, to be fair, their secret lair just collapsed, so it might have taken them a day to get their act together. But I, I'm well, saying then, yeah, okay. I'd, I'd wager a day on the outside. Like, if I was giving you a range, I'd say no more than 24 hours. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Especially that because Vey's parents' place, probably one of the first places they're going to check for Vey, right? Makes sense. Yeah. And and indeed, spoiler alert, they do later in the chapter. Yeah. It is one of the first places they check, so... So we get to meet Vey's family, and Vey has a very unusual family situation going on. That's okay. I like it. Yeah. It's a very progressive family. Vey has three parents, basically. Yeah. Living in a uh, fairly open and polyamorous situation, or strongly implied to be a polyamorous three-way. I'm going to tweak your sentence just a little bit. Okay. Vey has at least three parents. That is, yes, fair. There is... (laughs) Uh, there is a sentence in there structured in such a way that it makes me wonder if there are, in fact, more parental figures out there that just aren't living in this home. That That is possible. It is kind of open. Like their relationship, apparently. Yeah. Or at least it is a, a closed but broad relationship. <laughs> Could be. Um. So, yeah. Vey's dad, who is Rosani, yes, lives with... Uh, his wife, who is a woman. Who's Vey's mother. Vey's other parent, who is non-binary. Yeah, there's a, hold on, there's a word for it, a special word for it. Well, yeah, that, it's it's the same situation that, that, that Jebby has, basically. Yeah, but there, there's a word for it. We would say non-binary, but, oh, actually, there are two words for it. One of them seems to be a title, because Vey calls this person Ajume. And then Jebby refers to them as a, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, Jue, G-E-U hyphen A-E. Or maybe Gu-A. Forgive my Western tongue and my bad pronunciations and my cold. The point is. The uh, point is. They are non-binary. So Ve has a very different sort of upbringing from what we would consider traditional Rosani, apparently, because the Rosani... It's straight up said in the text, wouldn't exactly look favorably upon this living arrangement, uh, which is probably why Vey's dad didn't go back to the Empire and stayed here because he fell in love with uh, a Hugugan woman. Yes. And this other person. This other person whom they are in a relationship with. Yeah. According to 
the text anyway, it is not uncommon for a Rosani uh, to take in like some concubines. Yeah. So to live in a quote unquote harem kind of situation. But not uh, not in an equal sort of partnership. Yeah. That's which is, which unheard is, of. Yeah. This is more of like an equal triangle as yeah. opposed to a pyramid. It's the difference setup. between it's the difference between this is my wife, this is my mistress, and more this is my wife and my other wife. And that's where the situation yeah. kind of breaks down where for them. These are my spouses. Yeah. As opposed to yeah. Now, it's very clear. We already kind of knew that Vey had been brought up in what I'm going to call a very heterodox family hmm. from a Rosani standpoint, because already there was the the mixed blood, which the Rosani apparently kind of looked down on, because mom is Wagugan and dad is Rosani. Yes. But uh, now it turns out that Vey has actually had a very unusual upbringing. Because there's this polyamorous arrangement, there's the mix of both Rosani and Wagugan culture, there's a general acceptance of people that would have been, like, even as she was being taught by her dad the art of the sword and how to be a soldier and how to be a duelist, she would have been being taught by her, her mother and her other parent more acceptance and how to, like put yourself in the shoes of other people and how to be more worldly, I guess, than a traditional Rosani would generally consider themselves to be. And I can see why that would make it so that when they came up to the point where they were the duelist prime in armor and saw what was going on, they would have, as they put it a few chapters ago, opinions. Uh-huh. Likely very strong opinions. Yeah. Right? And ultimately why they would switch sides, maybe. Yeah. And and become more sympathetic to the people who are like, no, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this homogenous empire sweeping in and making everybody the same. Because that's kind of what the Rosani are about. They're about erasing every other culture except the Rosani culture and making everyone Rosani. Yeah. And Vey comes from a family that is much more open and accepting than that. Yeah. And I can see why that would rankle her. Mm-hmm. And I can see why the Rosani would also feel threatened by that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we're on the same page here. So we, we are first introduced to Vey's uh, kind of tertiary parent. Yeah. Um, I hope I say this correctly. Nam- Namgiyu? I don't know if it's a soft... I don't know if it's I would, a soft G or a hard I would assume that it's a hard G, G, actually, because Jebby starts with a J. Okay. And uh, so then Namgiyu it... is a is, is Hwagugan, if I I'm believe not mistaken. so. And also, apparently, Vey's parents are a bunch of outcasts, <laughs> is the weird thing. Because um, her father is uh, a Razani who has kind of grown apart from the the more orthodox Razani traditions and culture. Yes. Her mother seems pretty on the level for a Huagugan, except for the fact that she's married to... A Razani. A Razani. And the tertiary parent is... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, like from the Hwagugan upper class, but like left that, left that, like went and pursued a different career that their parents absolutely like disowned them over because it's what they wanted to do. And they kind of left that life behind. So, yeah, Vey's just, Vey comes from a very interesting family dynamic. Yeah. I think it's great because they all seem to be uh, gelling together very well. Yeah, for the most part. Right? So clearly they grew up in a loving household that just had a lot in the mix to take in, right? She had these three parents who all come from quite different backgrounds, Mm -hmm. right? All 
bringing in their own pasts and cultures and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I like to think it makes for a very well-rounded person. Yeah. Except for the fact that Vey murdered Gia, which is in itself a very sticky situation. In Vey's defense, that was... In war. That was in war. That was... That wasn't done in, like, you know, cold blood in the night in the street, no, right? It, That's It's different. Yeah. But still. Going to be hard for Bong Sunga to look past that. Exactly. Because Bong Sunga's... At the very least, the way Bong Sunga's been painted so far, a lot of Bong Sunga's motivation is tied up in their grief over Gia. Uh-huh. And so the person who killed Gia switching sides... I don't think that's going to sit right with Bong Sunga. And I'm worried that that will actually cause Bong Sunga to lose focus on the bigger picture. Maybe. I still wait for this inevitable meeting between Vey and Bong Sunga, and I, it's going to be. I could be wrong. Bong Sunga. Eating popcorn, being like, oh, yes, <laughs> these two are going to have it out. Say that again. And it's just going to be me eating popcorn, right? That meme of someone eating popcorn, being like, yes, what's happening? Or I could be completely mistaken. Like, that's the impression I have of Bong Sunga so far. But we haven't seen a lot of Bong Sunga. And a lot of the Bong Sunga we've seen has not been super favorable. Yeah. And so I could be very surprised in a few chapters where Bong Sunga's just like, oh, okay, well, that's a thing that happened, but you're helping us now, and we have bigger fish to fry. So welcome aboard. And I will be like, oh, okay. I would be like, what? Wow. That That is a surprising thing that happened. You are happened. totally the bigger person. Well done. Yeah. Good good on you, Bong Sunga, if that is the case. Yes. So Jebby wakes up. Yes. Uh, Jebby is cranky when they are disoriented. Well, they're- Like I mean, rudely demanding things, asking questions. Well, to be fair, they wake up in an unfamiliar place. They've just escaped from prison. They're starved and tortured. So it takes them a moment to get their bearings. Yeah. But in that bearing-getting moment, <laughs> Jebby is a little bit on the rude side. A little brusque, yes. Um, but it's quickly explained to Jebby that they went basically to the, the closest place that she knew where they could get help. And that was with her folks, yep. who are understanding and have her back, apparently. Yeah, and are nice. ju- And are just like, yeah, okay, come in. We'll We'll stitch up your friend. We'll get you some stuff together. Is that and then, a dragon? And then Ooh. you need to go. Like, the dragon's not even, a, like, nobody's questioning the dragon at all. No. <laughs> Which, if anything, makes me wonder if they already had her parents on board on this plan. I think I think she did. Not necessarily on, in on the details of the plan. Yeah. But she's constantly expressing her concern for their well-being. And they're just and like, no, no. And all three of them are yeah. like, we're fine. Yeah. We can all disappear. We've got... We've We've got a plan B. We've got something on the go. And actually, that would tie back to them having those saddles ready, too, on short notice. Maybe. Um, my gut feeling is that they were not blindsided by Vey showing up today with Jebby and a dragon. <laughs> Maybe not blindsided by what happened. Maybe blindsided by when. Yeah. Maybe they weren't expecting her today. today. But, I yeah, the fact that the dragon is just like... Not even a factor. Nobody's standing outside going, why, why is there a dragon why in my backyard? Why is there backyard? a dragon here? Everybody's just kind of like, yep, dragon's here. We're good to go. Get out of here. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, we're, we're first introduced to uh, Vey's other parent, the third parent. Nam- I, I don't want to- Namgyu? Yeah, Namgyu. Namgyu. I, I don't want to diminish them by just continuing to call them third parent, but I don't believe that they have a mother or father title in this equation. 
No. That which I recall? Is, which is why I think that other, the first title of the word I pronounced badly. Might be the parent title. Yeah. Might be. Uh, like a non-binary. Yeah. Like. like Parental title. Maybe. I, I kind of wondered if it was the equivalent to like uh, an aunt or an uncle maybe. Considering that like, yes, uh, Namgyu is a third parent, but was not, I'm assuming, an active part of conception. Yeah. But right. has been there raising Vey. Yeah. Assisting in raising Vey. That, do- that doesn't make them less of and a parent. It just doesn't give bes- bestow the title of mother or father, especially if this person is non-binary. And is also a midwife. Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably was involved in the birth one way or the oh, other. Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, then we're introduced to Vey's mother. Yes. How do you say her name? Because I, I don't know if it's if the J in it is a J sound or if it's a y sound. I would assume a j sound. Okay. Again, forgive my Western tongue. Yeah, I'm doing my best. Uh, didn't really have the time this week to go and check for pronunciations on this one. So I, I also apologize for that. And then, finally, Vey's father arrives. The uh, former duelist. Yes. Uh, who apparently has fallen out of being a duelist partly because he lost part of a leg. Yeah. Yeah, so he walks he, with crutches now. Yeah, and so he's... Uh, while he has taught Vey the sword, <laughs> he's not exactly uh, soldiering himself right now. Agreed. But he was out and about keeping an eye on things. And when he arrives, it's very much with the uh, urgency of, you need to go now. Yeah, they're coming. They're on their way. You need to go now. Vey and Jebby both express some concern for them. But as you said, all three parents are just like, we'll, we will be fine. You need to escape. Yeah. You need to go. We are also going to go. Everybody go. Yeah. Everybody out. So Jebby gets propped up and strapped on with some supplies. Yeah. Basically handed like a camping backpack. Yeah. Those great big ones with slats on it. Has a moment where they're like, why is my pack bigger than Vey's? And then realizes, oh, because Vey needs to be able to swing a sword. (laughs) Because I can't defend us. Yeah. That makes sense. Vey's not a pack mule. Yeah. Um, And then they head out to the garden where uh, Arazi is kind of hiding behind a bunch of trees. In in the movie of my mind, in the little cinema that lives in my brain, this is an incredibly funny bit of physical comedy of Arazi just like nonchalantly trying to hide behind a tree and failing at it so badly. Yeah. Like it's just adorable and funny in my head. So as as we kind of have already alluded to, uh, Arazi has been fitted with some saddles and it becomes very clear very quickly to Jebby they're going to be riding the dragon and they're like um how are we going to get out of the city without being seen and Arazi's like no problem we're going to fly and Jebby's like you can you can do that you're sure <laughs> well, and then we spend a really long time really emphasizing the fact that Jebby does not want to fly no this is <laughs> this is not the optimal situation for Jebby Jebby is terrified yeah. of, of flying is not confident that Arazi can actually fly. Yeah, but Arazi's been in a cave for most of its existence. And virtually the entire time that they've known Arazi, Arazi has been in the cave. Yeah. So the idea that Arazi's just like, of course I can fly. I'm a dragon. What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> I can't fly? And Jeppy's legitimately like, but have you ever done that? Okay. <laughs> you say you can do that, but is it because you think you can do that? Yeah. But they do strap on to the back of Arazi, and Arazi goes and leaps over the wall and then just kind of continues leaping into the air. Yeah. He does this fun, like, double jump thing where he just kind of jumps off of nothing. 
And then just keeps kind of jumping. Yeah, and then yeah. it just keeps going up and up and up. This would make another cool scene in the cinema of my head, mm-hmm. of a, the first time they fly and Jebby being terrified and Vey giggling with excitement and being like, woohoo! Because you know Vey's having a good time. Oh, Vey is... Vey is into this. Into this in the text. Oh, yeah. Vey is having a good time. Exactly. So as Arazi leaps across the clouds, a uh, couple things. First off, Jebby gains a new perspective on the world. For the first time, Jebby is seeing like the world from the top down, and it's totally different from their conception of everything because they're like, oh my God, like, could you imagine seeing a map from the top down? Because they're used to seeing uh, three quarters, three quarters maps. Yeah. yeah. Like this, this could change everything. Like, <laughs> wow, um, I could, I could paint a picture from the top down. What? what? Like, it's amazing. Completely broadens their horizons in that moment. And as they glance back, they see that the the Rosani troops have arrived at the home of Vey's parents, and it is now on fire. Yeah. Jebby is legitimately like, oh, we, we have to go back and help them. Like, Arazi even hesitates for a moment, and there's the sense that Arazi's like, are we going back? And Vey is the one who's like, no. We have to go. We have to go. We have to escape. Yeah, we this have to go is, forward. This is the more important thing. I trust that my parents will be fine. And if they are dead... We have to make sure their sacrifice is not in vain. Like, that's kind of the finality of the situation there. And Jebby's devastated by this because they were just shown incredible kindness by these three strangers, basically. Mm -hmm. And they might be dead now. Who might be dead now? I like to think that everybody got out because they all had a plan. They did have a plan, but there was not a lot of time. No, there was not a lot of time. But if Vey's father came in and said, they're coming, you have to go... My guess is plans went into action immediately. Pretty much, yeah. And and I I am hopeful. I have all the things crossed that everybody got out. Well, and here's the thing. My suspicion is they may have lit the house on fire assuming that people were hiding in it because they didn't find anybody there. Ah, yes. Because if Vey and Jebby and Arazi take off into the sky and then the three parents all scatter, there's nobody in the house. And that might be why the Rizani were like, well, they might be hiding. Smoke them out. Yeah. Torch the place. Which does seem extreme based on what Jebby. Oh, it's very extreme. What Jebby's talking about at the end of the chapter. How Rizani uh, were not one to use fire against their enemies. Mm -hmm. Especially against uh, Huagugan peoples because they wanted all of that luxury for themselves. But here's. To take it back. The reason why they're resorting to that extreme. Because uh, their dragon is missing? Because their dragon is missing and it is an existential threat to them. Yeah. The thing that was touched upon earlier in the book is that one of the reasons why the Rosani Empire is such a large hegemony uh, and why they have such military superiority is because of their tanks. And the dragon was designed as a tank killer. And Armory doesn't know that the dragon is a pacifist. Or if they do, they don't know if that's a thing that's going to keep. Right. If the dragon falls into the hands of the resistance or the Westerners, which certainly to uh, Hafandin's mind is is the worst case scenario, is like yeah. a critical red scenario, then their military superiority ends instantly. And if that dragon goes to war with them, they're done. So that's why they're, they burned down a house. Yeah. <laughs> because... And, and might go so far as to try to smoke them out of the whole city because it is an existential threat to their entire war machine. Yeah. This is what happens when you find out that you're not the only one with nukes. Yeah, basically. They can't allow the dragon to fall into enemy hands. Yeah, I know. 
And it's about to. Maybe. The, the only problem with it is that the dragon is an avowed pacifist and does not want any part in the conflict. Here's the thing, though. The dragon can be reprogrammed. Also, a dragon can be copied, right? It Yes, it's a dragon. It's still an automaton. Let's let's follow Hafandan's logic with our knowledge. Yes. We know that the dragon is a pacifist and does not want to fight. That doesn't mean that the Westerners can make friends with this dragon, copy this dragon's design, and build dragons that are not pacifists. Or, because the dragon is a machine, reprogram the dragon. Right? All Which it needs is a mask with proper grammar on certainly it. Certainly Jebby would not be okay with. And I'm suspicious that maybe the resistance is going to push Jebby to try to do that. Maybe. But Jebby, I don't think, would betray Arazi that way. I hope not. Oh, I hope not. Because that would be taking away Arazi's free will. Yeah. Which Arazi doesn't want to do either. No. I can't help but think that Arazi would also have issue with the idea of being copied to make machines of war. Uh Because that would defeat the purpose of its own pacifism and would be creating more automata that are being denied their own free will. Agreed. So I think Arazi would also, on principle, be opposed to that. But again, from Hafandan's perspective, Arazi's free will doesn't factor into it. No, not even a little Arazi is a weapon of mass destruction that is now on the loose. And it needs to be found and taken back at all costs because it is a weapon that is particularly effective against the people who built it. Yeah. From Hafandan and Armor in general's point of view... One could argue from the Empire's point of view. Yes, agreed. Um, even if Arazi turns out to be a failed weapon, because that's what they built, or mm. that's what they tried to build anyway, was a weapon. Yep. Even if Arazi turns out to be a failed weapon, that weapon falling into your enemy's hands is still bad. Yeah. Because what if they fix it? What if they improve on it? What if it gives them knowledge to make bigger, badder weapons to use against you? We've talked about this over and over again, yeah. but yes. I think you're right. We've we've kind of made the point of why the Razani would resort to something that Jebby considers to be a very extreme move in burning down the house in that yeah. moment. Because well, things have escalated now. Things they? have escalated. Yes, it, like it's serious. This is serious. Yeah. And then our chapter stops. Yeah. Hooray! Hooray! <sighs> I don't know where we're going. Presumably to the resistance, because that is what Vey exactly stated they were doing. Yeah. So Vey's... That's that's kind of vague. Let's kind of lay out what Vey's plan is, because it's not going to go according to plan. Of course not. Vey's basic plan is, I know where there's a resistance recruitment site. We're going to go there. We're going to land. We're going to present ourselves to them and be like, take us to your leaders. <laughs> we're going to give them all the information we have, and then we're just going to go find somewhere safe. Like, we're going to go lay low. Yeah, and let the resistance have their fight. Yeah. Jebby's like, sounds good, question mark? But even Jebby's like, I don't know if Bong Sungo would be just allow that to happen. Would allow us to just swoop in and be like, hey, yeah, we got this dragon here. Here's a bunch of information about it. Goodbye. No. The resistance going to be like, well, how can we use that dragon? You're not going anywhere. Oh, you killed my wife. So you're, <laughs> you're not all, going anywhere either. You're not going anywhere either. That's much more likely what's about to happen. Agreed. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We have a good chunk of book left. Yep. We'll see what happens. We'll yeah. See. I'm actually a little concerned that we might not get to the resolution of this story by the end of the book. Don't know. Um, because we're running out of book and it seems like there's so much story left to go. I'm, And let me 
broaden that. When I say story, I mean like the larger arc of the story, not just the little like story of Jebby becoming a radical, which we're getting in this novel. What I'm saying is I'm worried this might be part one of a larger series. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Like, like you know, we're, we're coming to the end, but we've still got a decent amount. There is still decent book left. There could be war in this book. There could yet be war in this book. There could yet be war in this book. We'll, we'll have see. to wait and see. Maybe there will be some more in the next chapter. Who knows? Uh, you'll want to read up on chapter 16 in time for next week. In the meantime, you know, we were just talking about how Vey had a very unorthodox upbringing. And uh, presumably that would have included Vey's education which probably wasn't a traditional Rosani education. Um, if you're looking to get a leg up on your own kid's education or your own education yourself, um, a great way to learn more about the schools that you might be interested in is to visit an open house at that school. And the Edmonton Public School Board is currently hosting some virtual open houses you might want to check out. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house. Ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs and find the one that feels right. All from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates and learn how to make the most out of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. Edmonton Public School Board. Learn about some education. Learn about some education. That's right. Uh, you can check out more about that and all of the other sponsors of the network right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can also check out all the other member podcasts. If you find one you like, you can probably find it on your podcatcher of choice. Yeah, probably. It's probably also where you're catching this pod. You might consider giving us a little rating and a review. That helps We'd us out. appreciate it. Yeah. You can uh, tell us about it on social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of those. Yeah, you can also reach out to us via email. We are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much and we'll see you next time. Flying on a dragon. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.